Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Well, um, this morning as we begin, I want to ask you to think about a time when you were surprised by someone being somewhere where you did not expect them to be, or you surprised someone by showing up and surprising them at a place where they didn't expect you to be. Maybe you showed up for someplace out of town. Can you think about that? Do you think about planning that, the experience, the shock, the surprise? I'll share with you a personal story just to uh, kind of flesh it out. Here's, an, here's a photo of my nieces and nephews. Um, this comes from a day uh, in 2016. Actually, right at, right at Christmas time in 2016, when my niece Bonnie surprised her uh, siblings and, well, actually the whole family by showing up. Uh, Bonnie's the one in uniform there. And um, Bonnie had been away in the Navy, and uh, she'd made secret plans with her sister Kona to come back at Christmas time to surprise the family. Now, the rest of us, the rest of our family, we didn't know she was coming home. What, what we understood is that she was in the schooling phase of her uh, military season, and we, we understood that she was just overwhelmed with the schoolwork and, and just didn't have the time to actually come home for the holidays. So um, that's what we were expecting. But a few days before Christmas, Bonnie quietly flew into Boise, and her sister picked her up at the airport. They went to Costco and got a bundle of flowers, and the very first stop that they made was to go see their mom, uh, Jamie, at her office. And they went into Jamie's office with the flowers, and Bonnie was in full uniform, you know? And, and she shows up, and Jamie just stood there. She said, I, I asked her about it. I said, what, what, did, what did it feel like when Bonnie showed up? And she said, I just stood there in shock and in disbelief at what I was seeing. Because I it just... I didn't expect her to, it wasn't possible. How is this possible? And then that, of course, turned into joy and, and of course, hugging. After that, the next stop was she went to um, their home where her dad, my, my brother, uh, was working from home at the time. And so Chad had just been texting with Bonnie that day. They have a really close relationship. And he, she'd been texting with him about how just busy she was with schoolwork and stuff like that. And so when he answered the door and she was standing there, it just did not compute that she was here. And in Bonnie's words, she's like, he hugged me for like five minutes. <laughs> That's basically the pattern of how Bonnie and Kona spent that whole day. This was something Bonnie had been anticipating and planning out for a few months. She, this was all fresh to them, but she'd known this was coming. She was planning it. She surprised her younger brother, Renton, uh, at school. Uh, Renton is her, his father's son, and so there was both hugging and tears. Um, Renton had been through a really difficult school year. I think it was his senior year. Uh, he'd lost a friend. A friend had passed away. And so he was going through a lot. And so the, the, the shift of, to joy in seeing his sister, who's one of his closest friends, was just altogether overwhelming. So, uh, so yeah, there was hugging. And, and then um, she went and surprised. She just this is what she did the whole day. She went and surprised her older brother at a restaurant. She came here and surprised me here at the church. 
Uh, she made an unannounced visit to my house where she surprised my wife and our, and our daughters. Uh, and, and maybe one of my favorites is when she went and surprised her, her grandparents, my parents. And she called them on the way there and was talking to them on the phone as she you know, often did from school. And she was explaining to them that she'd gotten her new, her new duty station assignment and that she was, her next assignment was gonna be to, in Virginia. And so at, they're, they're, they've got on speakerphone and they're standing there looking at the phone where they can't see her, but they're looking at the phone, standing at the counter, talking to her on speakerphone. And while they're talking, she lets herself into the house <laughs> and walks up behind them and just waits until they sense there's somebody here. And I actually watched the video of this this week. Bonnie sent me the video because she has it captured. And the joy, again, of being surprised by a loved one that you didn't expect to be there was just overwhelming. They just hugged her. Um, I was watching it and my eyes were leaking because it was just so amazing. Okay, it kind of gets you in the feels, doesn't it? Do you remember having an experience like that? I want you to hold on to that experience because it's going to help um, just animate the story that we're going to be in today and help us um, actually experience what it was like that first Resurrection Sunday. So um, I titled this morning's message, I titled it Joyful Jesus. Um, and the, the word joyful is key there because this is a radical shift and um, kind of a, a shift in tone. Well, it's a radical shift in, in tone and emotion from Jesus' Passion Week. This last week, we've been... Um, reading about, we've been listening to devotions, we've been uh, here engaging in the Stations of the Cross. We've been focused on the, the week in between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. And that week, the whole tone of it was really, it was dark, it was heavy, it was somber. You know, we got the Stations of the Cross that we, we've, we, ha- we actually still have the posters up in here. And each one of those posters uh, is, the, is something that Jesus spoke from the cross. And the words that he spoke from the cross are powerful and they're rich, and they're meaningful, and they're heavy, right? It was a heavy week, not only here, but of course there. We thought about what Jesus experienced, the brutality of the cross. Think about what he experienced, the holistic brutality of the cross, physically brutal, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially. Like, that's 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 what's been leading into the Sunday I think about that week, I think Jesus was experiencing the most difficult aspects of the human condition. Even we hear him saying things from the cross. We hear him experiencing abandonment, isolation, loneliness, discouragement. We hear hear him experiencing the, the hardest aspects of the human condition. But on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the empty tomb, we find Jesus experiencing some of the most joyful aspects of the human experience. This Jesus that we meet on Resurrection Sunday is joyful Jesus. It's playful Jesus. It's happy Jesus. It's altogether different. He's bringing surprising joy to the people that he's known and loved during his earthly life. So as we pick up the story, we're actually going to be in, in uh, Luke chapter 24 today. Before we go there, I want to, I want to just pull something in from, Luke, from John 20. And I'll just kind of narrate this because we're not going to read this text. But his first appearance, his first stop, again, Bonnie's first stop was to go see her mom. Very deliberate choice. Jesus made a very deliberate choice. His first stop was to see somebody, one of his followers, and one of his closest friends named Mary Magdalene. And 
when he encounters her, Mary is standing outside of the tomb weeping. And remember this, like we think about the emotions. I tried to, to, to surface the emotion of this day. When we were missing Bonnie on that Christmas weekend, we were missing her because she was distant. They're grieving Jesus because he's dead. Not distant, dead. So they're not just missing him on their big holiday. This was, this was Passover holiday. That is the biggest holiday of the Jewish year, the Jewish calendar. They're not just missing Jesus, they're grieving him. That's where we meet Mary. She's grieving and she's standing at the empty tomb and she doesn't yet understand. She's been told that he's alive, but she doesn't believe it. Um, and what she's doing is she's grieving this latest injustice because what she had done is come to treat his body for a more proper burial when Jesus was taken off the cross on Good Friday, it was a, a hurried burial because they had to, to get it over with before sundown on, on Passover. And so they didn't get to treat the body the way that they would treat a body with, uh, with oils, with spices, with kind of anointing the body for burial. And so first thing that morning, she and a couple other ladies had gathered, had first thing in the morning, that's what they went to do. Instead, they found an empty tomb. And then, now she's standing there by herself just grieving because this latest injustice means that she can't even give him the, the honorable burial he deserves. So while she's weeping, the gardener walks up. And he just asks a simple question. He says, why are you so sad? And, and she turns and she sees the gardener and she thinks to herself, he knows something. Either he was involved or he at least knows what they did with the body. And so she begins to beg him, would you tell me? Tell me what they've done with my Lord. I'll go get him myself. I'll, I'll, I will go get him. You don't need to do anything. Just, just please tell me. And he looks at her and then he says her name in a way that only one person has ever said it in her entire life. And he just says, Mary. And it's Jesus. The gardener is Jesus. And, and she's doing that whole, like, this does not compute. <laughs> and she just throws herself on him and she hugs him. And she hugs him and, and he lets her for a while and eventually says, okay, okay, you can't hold on to me forever. In fact, what I need you to do is you're my first witness. Go tell Go tell the others that I'm alive and that I'll meet him in Galilee. So he sends her off. That's his first stop. He makes a second appearance. This is the one that we're gonna be looking at this morning. It's in Luke chapter 24. Here, we'll put this on the screen. We're gonna be using the, uh, primarily the NLT version this morning, but you can read it in your Bibles or in your app. Luke 24 says, the same day, meaning that same resurrection Sunday, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Okay, now these are followers of Jesus. They're disciples. They're also friends. These are people who he knew. He knew them by name. They had traveled with him. That morning, they had been in the room with the disciples in Jerusalem where they'd all been hiding for fear of the, the religious leaders and the, and the Romans. They'd all been hiding and they were part of that group. So these are, these are friends. And here they are walking. They'd made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem from their, uh, their little small town of, of uh, Emmaus. 
It's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. It's, uh, well, it's seven miles. That's like a, just a little more than a 10K. And they're walking home. And of course, Passover was a time with heightened expectations. Passover was a time when the Jews remembered God's previous deliverance of their people. And they celebrated that previous deliverance and told the story to one another, told it to their children. But it was in anticipation for a day that God would do it again. And so whenever Passover came around, there was, there was this anticipation. Is this the time when God will once again intervene and free our people? And this particular Passover, they had had heightened expectations, higher than normal, because they were following Jesus. And he was a messianic figure. And so they'd come into Jerusalem with, with thinking, this is the perfect time for him to launch his campaign, right? This is the perfect time for him to free Israel. This is like his coming out party where everybody's going to know who he is, not just those of us who follow him. But then the carpet got yanked out from underneath them. And the one who was welcomed in Jerusalem was just a few days later crucified, tortured to death. And here they are shuffling home in shock and disappointment, grief. They're processing everything that happened, probably wondering how they got it so wrong. And all of a sudden, this strange person shows up and inserts himself into their conversation. Like, that's a bold move, right? You ever had that happen? Somebody just inserts himself into your conversation? Inserts himself to the conversation. This is how it goes. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there these last few days. What, what things? Jesus asked. Now, can you appreciate this? They, 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 he's walking the same direction they are. He's clearly just left Jerusalem as they are leaving Jerusalem. They're on the same road, going the same direction. And they're like, how do you not know? Everyone in Jerusalem, whether you are a fan or not, knows what just happened to this person, Jesus. How do you not know? And so they're incredulous, and he's just trying to keep a straight face. He's like, hmm, no, what things? Playful Jesus. Verse 19, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing, and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, body was gone, just as the women had said. Did you catch that? They're like, yeah. The women said the body was gone and that he was alive. Well, the men found the body was gone. <laughs> they couldn't verify that he was alive, but they verified the body was missing. Here's the thing. This is a quick side note. This is one of the evidences that biblical scholars and students of first century culture point to to say that the, the, the resurrection of Jesus was a historical fact. It wasn't a fable that was concocted by disappointed disciples. And, and here's, here's the, what, the reason why. Because women's testimony was not considered reliable or trustworthy in their culture. And so if you were trying to concoct a story and trying to pull one over on people, 
you would choose a more culturally credible eyewitness. But Jesus seems to think differently. Who did he show up to first? Verse 25, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. Now, remember, they don't know, they don't yet recognize him. They said, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the, that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We have a, a Bible that we love around here. It's actually a children's Bible that we recommend for adults. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the tagline of it is that every story whispers his name. And the beautiful thing about this, this Bible is that every story at the end of it, the author says, this is how this pointed to Jesus. And that's what he did. He basically took him on a Jesus storybook Bible reading of scripture. They got, it's a 10K walk. I think he probably met them early on in the 10K, right? Average pace, you can do that two, three hours if you're walking leisurely, right? You can walk two hours if you're speed walking. This was not a speed walking environment. Remember, these guys are shuffling because they're depressed. That's the best 10K walk ever. Jesus explaining scriptures, showing how everything pointed to him. He talked to about the, maybe talked to him about the Passover lamb, how that pointed to him. Talked about the death of the firstborn that led to the leading out of slavery in Egypt. Talked to him about the bronze serpent put on a pole and held up in the wilderness. Anybody who looked on the pole was, was rescued, was saved, was healed. He took him through all that. He took him through Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we, we looked at it this week. Every phrase that he spoke from the cross pointed back to Psalm 22. He took him through all of that. And all the while, they don't recognize him. Verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going to go on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. It's evening time. They get to Emmaus, and they're like, well, this is where we're stopping. Where, where are you going? He's like, ah, I'm just going to keep. And they're like, oh, no, 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 come on. We don't even know your name. <laughs> come, come stay with us. You've been so helpful. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and at that moment he disappeared. <laughs> they recognized him in the breaking of bread. I mean, first of all, this is a miraculous thing. God, God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus kept them from recognizing him until the appropriate moment. But what was it about the breaking of the bread? Maybe they were there. Maybe they were, they were there for the last supper. They were friends of the twelve. Maybe they were there for one of the times when Jesus miraculously fed a, a great crowd with, with bread and a few loaves of bread and a few fish, right? That happened a couple times. Maybe they were there. Something about those times, you know, he would break the bread, bless it, and give it. Maybe, maybe it was that. I don't know. But at that moment, they see him. And before they can hug him and hold on to him like everybody else does, he's gone. Because he's got more stops to make. He's not done. Verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem 
There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. We have proof one of the guys saw it. (laughs) You get to that? He's really risen. He appeared to Peter. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Verse 35, then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. John, Luke doesn't tell us in this, in this account, but John 20 tells us that the room that they were in as they were gathered in was behind locked doors. They were still fear in, in fear of, of the, the religious leaders who had put Jesus to death. And so when Jesus shows up in this room, he showed up in the room. This is... Playful Jesus, joyful Jesus, unlimited Jesus, the creator of the universe who's in charge of every molecule, molecule in the universe, and he's no longer limited. This is God's word. There's a lot more to it that we could unpack in that passage. Um, Pastor Brent mentioned this book that we're kicking off with. Throughout the next seven weeks, we're going to be, um, as a whole church, we're going to be going through this book together. It's going to be part of our, our devotional content. It's going to be themed out of this book. Uh, on Sundays, we're going to be teaching a passage, not of the book, but of scripture that's anchored into the chapter the, from this book. But this is a book called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And that's who we are. We're ordinary people who actually believe in an extraordinary God that is still speaking today. And if he's still speaking today, we want to learn how to recognize his speaking, his leading, the when he's revealing himself or calling us. We want to learn how to recognize that. And, and so we're going to do that together. So the, the, the first chapter of the book is actually telling this story and, and looking at it at, at, in a more uh, studious way in terms of like, how is Jesus speaking through this passage? So you're going to get a chance to do that if you jump into that book um, book series. Again, uh, if you're visiting with us today, we've got copies for guests out at the welcome counter uh, for free. Uh, you can have that whether you join the book study or not. It's just a great gift. Um, I mean, what could you give a better gift than learning to recognize God's voice? Um, but would also invite you to join us for one of those groups. So he made some other appearances. We just saw three, number three and four there. We don't know what order they were in. Uh, we saw Peter, that was unrecorded. We don't know the details of that encounter with Peter, but it was seemingly it was, it was individual. This is not the one that we have in John 21. This is on Resurrection Sunday, he appeared to Peter, which had to be so meaningful because Peter had failed him and Peter was devastated. Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus had said, in, prior to Jesus denying him, or Peter denying him, Jesus, Jesus had said to Peter, Peter, your faith is going to fail you, but I've prayed for you. And I've prayed that, that, that you will not f- fall because of this and that you will turn around and use what's happened to you to strengthen your brothers. And the, then Jesus went and voted with his, his life on that. When he was making the stops on Resurrection Sunday and surprising people, he went and found Peter. It's amazing. Here we see him meet the other disciples, the rest of them as they're gathered behind locked doors for fear of the authorities. Later, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he also met with uh, 500 people at once. He showed up to a crowd that was over 500 people. We also find out that he met with his brother James, which is a significant thing. If you, if you convinced your brother that you are the son of God, that's, again, 
That's really credible proof. Like, I mean, I've got a good relationship with my brother, but like neither of us think that highly of each other. Here's the question. Why is Jesus so joyful? Why the, why the shift from, I mean, Jesus during the resurrection week, he was speaking heavy things. He was speaking promise, but he was also speaking some pretty dark, heavy things. He was, in, he was in a difficult place. We see him praying in the garden just before his arrest, and that was, I mean, he's sweating like great drops of blood. And yet here he is so playful. This is, you know, I, I, wanted, I want us to experience this because sometimes we can read these stories and we can become so familiar with them that we just read them and we're like, yeah, he showed up. He really loved these people. The, his encounter with them was no different, no, no less loving than what Bonnie experienced every time she surprised one of us and we threw our arms around her and hugged her. What is the joy? Why was he so joyful? Well, the joy is, of course, it's each of these specific encounters because Jesus was a real person who had real relationships and really loved these people. So it is, of course, these specific encounters, but it's so much bigger than that. This is a joy that stretches across the cosmos and throughout eternity. This is the moment that Jesus had not just been anticipating for a few months. He'd been anticipating this since the beginning. The beginning. This is the moment that Jesus was announcing when he breathed out one of the phrases that we have here from, that he spoke from the cross, when he spoke out, it is finished. This was what he was longing for. Yesterday's devotions, Pastor Mike compared this joy to the arrival of a newborn baby after an intense and painful labor. This is what, this is what Mike wrote in the devotions. Perhaps then the loud cry, this is Jesus saying, it is finished, Perhaps then the loud cry is the one accompanying the final push in all of its primal, inarticulate glory, like a mother bearing down with all her might, with that exhausted mom now saying through relieved tears of joy, Nishlam, Nishlam. The labor is ended, the ordeal is complete. The child, each and every one of us, is delivered. Yeah. Try that one on. The cross as the ultimate divine labor that humanity might be born again. Like, Mike, come on, man. Who is this guy? <laughs> Jesus was joyful because this was the beginning of a new creation, of all things being made new. This is what God had promised at the moment our first parents rebelled in the garden introducing sin and death into the world. In the aftermath of that, in Genesis 3, the very beginning of our Bible, we find that God described the consequences that they would now experience in a fallen world. And God also promised that one day a descendant of this woman would defeat the enemy who had brought all of this devastation into his creation. Jesus was joyful because he'd accomplished what he had come to do. We looked at this on Good Friday, where Jesus, on the week leading up to the crucifixion, he was wrestling with what he was going to experience. And he said, and now my, my, my soul is troubled. And should I ask the Father to, to, to spare me from this? No, this is why I came. He's joyful because he accomplished what he came to do. He didn't just come to tell us the way to God. He came to become the way. 
That's, that, this is where Christianity is different than every other religion. Every religion tells you the way to God in some form or another, the way to the right life, the way to the good life. Jesus didn't just come to tell us the way. He became the way. He, came, he became the way by taking our death so that he could give us his life. He came to take the punishment due to us by drinking the cup of God's wrath on sin and injustice. He talks about, I drink this cup. When he asks the Father, is there any other way? If not, then I entrust myself to you. He did this by dying for our sins in our place. He did this by making peace between God and humanity through the blood that was shed on the cross. Jesus was joyful because he had just introduced living hope to all of creation. It's a big difference between living hope and wishful thinking. A living hope that was built upon the resurrection and the promise that he would finish what he had begun. That's not a hope that's dependent on human governments, not on political legislation, not on scientific advances, not on social progress. There's lots of things that in our world we try to put our hope in. Human economies. There's all kinds of things, and, and, and they get shaken, and we realize none of this is solid. Jesus offers a living hope, a true hope, that is rooted in, his, in the reality of his resurrection. Jesus was joyful because the same power that raised him from the dead would one day completely cleanse the world of all suffering and evil, of all violence and injustice. Jesus was joyful because he was now experiencing resurrection, resurrection life, no longer in bondage to disease, decay, despair, depression, death, none of the D words. Jesus, we see this. We see that his resurrected body is not just his old body revived. He has a new body. This is a new creation. He was not experiencing, here's the thing. Jesus was not experiencing this resurrection life as the only one to ever experience it. He was experiencing it as the first one, the first of many. And he promised the same resurrection to every person who turns to him in faith as both Savior and Lord. Jesus, his resurrection life, it's called the first fruits of the resurrection. The first meaning that it's the first of many more to come. First fruits in an agrarian agricultural society. First fruits were basically the, the very first part of the harvest, and the first part was indicative of what the rest would be like. If you want to know, if you, if you want to be free from this tent that we live in, not to live as a spirit, but to live in a body that doesn't experience any of this, no decay, no death, no disease, no despair. If you, want, if, if you, if you get weary of living in these broken bodies, there's hope because there's one. We've, we've seen what it's like. The bottom line, why was Jesus so joyful? Here's the bottom line. If you don't hear anything else today, the bottom line is you are the joy. You are the joy that was set before Jesus. He endured that for you. Look at this phrase in Hebrews chapter 12. This is the author of Hebrews describing Jesus. He's, he's, he's telling believers who are weary in their following Jesus, they're experiencing persecution, they're experiencing hardship. And he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. You are the joy. Mary was the joy. Peter was the joy. The two, the 12, they were all the joy that was set before him, but it wasn't limited to them. You are the joy. If you've already given your life to Jesus in faith and invited him into your life as both Savior and Lord, you already have the down payment of eternal life that is to come. The down payment, the first installment of this life is the Holy Spirit that God places in us when we surrender our lives to him. It's what we call being born again. It's a birth by the Spirit. It's not a natural birth. It's a spiritual birth. But at the heart of it is God placing his Spirit inside of us, giving us a new heart, a new spirit. That's, that's the first installment. That's the down payment where he said, I'll give you this in promise that there's more to come. It's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction to our hearts, makes us want to be more like Jesus. See, we want to be more like Jesus not to earn his resurrection, not to earn his salvation. It's a free gift. But once having received that gift, we respond to hearts of gratitude and with a spirit-empowered desire to be more like him. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live more like him and to extend his will and his ways to other people. It's the Holy Spirit who breathes hope into us to sustain us while we wait for the completion of his restoration of all creation. To that moment, so we, the beginning of Genesis is when he tells us that he's gonna fix what's been broken. The very end, the last page, Revelation 21, we're promised that there's gonna come a time where he wipes every tear, when there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain when God has made his home with us and all of creation is made new. That's what we're waiting for. You know, where we live, we, we actually live in between the cross and the resurrection. We kind of live on Holy Saturday, time of waiting. But we know how it ends. If you've not yet given your life to Jesus in faith and invited him into your life as both Savior and Lord, here's what Jesus has for you. It's anticipatory joy and love. In the same way that Bonnie was planning this moment for her loved ones for months, Jesus has been planning for this moment today since the, since the beginning of time, since the foundation of all creation. And what he wants to do is he, he, he's been anticipating this. He wants you to hear him call your name. He wants to call you by name the same way he called Mary in a way that only one person in all of creation can speak your name to call you forth and say, come. I love you. I did this for you. What I did, I did for you. He's longing to extend to you the forgiveness that he won on the cross. He's longing to give you the new birth, the spiritual rebirth that comes to every person who turns to him in faith. I don't know why you came here. Some of us come because it's, it's Easter and this is a, a big moment in our faith. And so every Easter is special. Christmas is special. Easter is, is special. Because these are, these are the anchors of our faith. We revisit those stories and we retell them just like the, the, the Jewish people told the story of the Passover. We retell the story because it gives us hope. But we also tell the story to invite others to join us. I'm gonna ask you to, to stand with me. Let me just ask you this question. So we talk about, we look at joyful Jesus we see happy Jesus, and he's, he's calling out your name. Do you feel that this morning? Do you sense that Jesus loves you? That same anticipation 
that when, you, when we see one another, we give that hug that just doesn't stop. Jesus loves you with that kind of love. He's just waiting for you to receive that love. So I just want to give you the invitation this morning. Maybe can we just close our eyes. And I just want to give you an invitation this morning. If you're here and you've never personally responded to Jesus, maybe you're familiar with the story. Maybe you grew up attending church sometimes. Maybe you've heard these stories before, but you've never personally responded to Jesus. The story of him interacting with all of these individuals personally, that's a foreign experience to you. But maybe you're sensing a stirring. Here's what that is. That's Jesus calling your name. The same way that he spoke and he said, Mary. If there's a stirring in your heart, maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, this seems too good to be true. That all I have to do is, is say yes. My sins are forgiven. I'm given eternal life. I'm given a living hope. I'm given a, a spiritual rebirth, a new birth. If that seems too good to be true. If, if that's type of stuff rattling around inside your mind and heart right now, that's Jesus inviting you. Saying, I did this for you. Maybe you, maybe you grew up in the church, but you've, or grew up in faith, but you drifted. Maybe you had a season of running away from God, maybe a season of deconstruction, and you're trying to put it back together. You're trying, you know that faith is important. You're trying to figure out what does this look like? Jesus is inviting you today. Maybe you got baptized as a child, but it, today would mean something different. And so this morning, if, if, if you're responding to Jesus for the first time, I'm just gonna, you don't have to get baptized. There's an invitation to that. And that's what a lot of people did when they first put their faith in Jesus in the first century is they immediately were baptized. But if you just want to respond today and raise your hand, I just would like to pray with you for a moment. And, and you don't have to come up front. We'll just pray for you right where you are. But we do have to receive this. Jesus did this for all creation and it's appropriated personally. It's received personally. So if that's you, just with all eyes closed, would you just raise your hand right now and, and our, our greeters are just going to come around with a, a welcome packet. We're just going to put that in your hand. And, um, and maybe we'll a couple people put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. Just put your hand up until you have somebody standing with you with your hand on their shoulder, with your hand on your shoulder. We have a hand over here. We have a hand over here. Church, if you see somebody standing near, would you put your hand on their shoulder and just be prepared to to pray for them. Just ask God to, to give you a prayer to help welcome them into the family. Greeters, we have packets. Now, if you raised your hand, again, you can be baptized. I'm just going to say a prayer. Lord Jesus, This morning, we gather, even as Christians and people are gathering all over the world in all kinds of places and, and models, are gathering to tell your story and to respond to your story and to worship you. Or thank you that we get to do that today. And thank you that you loved us the same way you loved your first disciples that your love wasn't limited to, the, to Mary or Peter or the two or the 12, but 
but that you love us with that same kind of anticipation and joy. Would you place it into our hearts and help us to have the faith to believe that we are the joy that sustained you and strengthened you to walk the cross. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Lord, for those who are responding to you for the first time or coming back, I pray for your grace to just be poured out. Would you awaken hearts? Would you be enthroned in hearts and make your home in hearts? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We see what you're doing. We, we thank you for how you've done that in, in many of our lives. And we now affirm these brothers and sisters for the, the, uh, the faith that they've responded to with you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, we do have some words for prayer. We had some things that our prayer team sensed that God wanted to, um, to specifically minister to today. So these were the words for prayer today. Be infused by the Holy Spirit and um, heart set on fire. Uh, cold heart. I think it should say cold heart set on fire. Uh, and then the word walk and wounded heart. And um, my suspicion is that if that's for you, you know what those words mean. You know that that's a word for you. Maybe that's the way that God's calling your name today is by saying, I see you. And so if you need prayer today, if that's, if that's you, or if you need prayer for something else, uh, you can just come up front and uh, our, we'll be here. Our ministry team will be here. We'd be glad to pray with you. Apart from that, um, do we have a last? Are we, we're done? Okay. Apart from that, go make the invisible God visible and happy Easter. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.